I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, recorded in the Living Kitchen Studio. George Smart is an archivist with a passion for modern design and architecture. He's also the executive director of U.S. Modernist and North Carolina Modernist Houses. Both nonprofit organizations exist to identify, document, and preserve modernist design. George and I have known each other for quite some time now and reconnected at Modernism Week in Palm Springs earlier this year. George and I met at the Cambria Surfaces showroom on El Paseo in Palm Desert. It was great catching up with George, and I'm really pleased to share this conversation with you. You know, it's one thing you hear a lot about preserving and saving iconic architecture. Specifically, you've heard uh, my interview with with, uh, Jamie Rummerfield and um, Ron Woodson of SIA, Save Iconic Architecture. It's really interesting. First, in order to save something, you have to know it's there. And that's really what what George does. And I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Before we get into this, I want to thank you for listening to Convo by Design. It's been six years, and we're, we're doing more than we've ever done before. This year alone, Convo by Design, I've already been to Modernism Week, KBiz, Pasadena Showcase House for the Arts, uh, West Week. Uh, coming up is LCDQ Legends, the Los Angeles Design Festival, Fall Market, and of course, West Edge Design Fair. Make sure you catch every episode so you don't miss any of the most significant design and architecture events in Southern California. Subscribe to the show uh, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks. Let's talk about precision and performance for a minute. Designers and architects, you, you live by creative performance and precision execution. And that's what makes for stunning design and memorable reveals. Snyder Diamond, presenting sponsor of Convo by Design, provides both through world-class customer service and through world-class products like those from Sub-Zero and Wolf. Sub-Zero and Wolf give you all the tools you need to give your clients the best so that they can be their best in the kitchen. That starts with food preservation and the three pillars, humidity, temperature control, and air purification. Sub-Zero engineers obsess over every detail to put reliable and precise systems in place to control humidity and temperature. The air purification system alone was inspired by NASA. Wolf views food preparation in the very same way. Precise control allows for predictably delicious results. Strong designers and kitchen architects know that their clients want beauty. They want the latest technology, they want convenience, and they want performance. With Sub-Zero and Wolf, you can give them everything they're asking for. And right now, for a limited time, through the Grand Kitchen event, they also get three extra years of protection or $1,000. These offers are only for a limited time, and details apply. So take control, get all the details, and to see the full line of Sub-Zero, Wolf, and Cove products, go to any of the three Los Angeles area Snyder Diamond locations. You can also see the Living Kitchen in the Pasadena and Santa Monica Snyder Diamond showrooms. I love this. I, we're just two podcasters having a, yeah. having a conversation about design. Yeah, in a store. In a store. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been doing this now? I've been doing this now four years this month. Wow. Isn't that great? I can't believe it. Isn't that great? I mean, when I started, it was like, uh, how, how long can this last? I mean, maybe six months. Why did you start the podcast? What was the, what was the impetus for the, for the podcast? This was an extension of what we were already doing with U.S. Modernists, which was documenting modernist houses across the country. 
and I had gone out onto iTunes to see what else was out there talking about modern architecture and there really wasn't anything that really drilled down into that. And a few of the architecture shows out there mostly spoke to architects. And it could be very jargony and not very fun for the average person like me who is not an architect and did not have all that technology and terminology. So I wanted to do something fun to make modern architecture accessible and also to highlight this need to preserve these houses everywhere. Pre okay, two things. Preservation comes up a lot now, um, here in Southern California in particular, just because things go down so fast yeah. that you never, even, you never even saw coming. You know, it's like it's forgotten about, it's dilapidated, it's gone. And then it's, whatever happened to that Eichler? It's like, oh yeah, that's gone. Why did you start, why'd you start the, the, the organization to begin with? So I started the organization really on a Google search. I was thinking about, one night, I was thinking about building a house for myself. And I had liked modern as a general style, but I didn't know much about it. So I went online to find modernist houses in my locality, which is Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I saw these houses which looked kind of familiar, like, huh, have I been here before? Turns out I had, when I was six years old, my dad, who was an architect, he's passed away now, uh, would take me to these significant modernist houses during my childhood. So I recognized these things, and it was like some kind of DNA effect took hold like an alien where that little monster bursts from the stomach. Uh, all of a sudden architecture was like in my, you know, in my brain. And then I also saw on the internet the Catalano House, which was North Carolina's second most famous house after Biltmore. How it was this extraordinary structure, a hyperbolic paraboloid roof. Uh, it was second only to Biltmore in its fame, although Biltmore is obviously not modernist. And it was destroyed in 2001 in Raleigh. And what was amazing to me is I lived there the entire time. I never consciously heard about this house either existing or being destroyed. It was completely off my radar. And I thought I knew a lot about it. And the tragedy is I think most people who lived in Raleigh-Durham Chapel Hill never heard about it either. So to your point earlier about things getting forgotten and then eventually destroyed, that's where we changed the game in North Carolina. So we don't intervene at the 11th hour when the bulldozers are at the property line. We try to find out the moment a house goes vacant and we get it into our system. We're alerting everybody about the status. We are getting the realtors who specialize in this involved. So whether the house is vacant and just sitting or needs a renter or needs a buyer or needs some love or needs a tour, we're on it right away. And that has made the survival rate for these houses go up dramatically. I bet it has. Is that the goal, is to, is to find them when they're empty, or is the goal to actually catalog and have a, have a place for them? Well, the catalog allows us to find them. Okay. Because you can't save something if you don't know where it is. That's so true. It's true. I had this, I had this conversation last night. Save Iconic Architecture, the SIA event, Jamie Rummerfield and Ron Woodson. They they do this every every year where they have the events here at Modernism Week and then and then they have other events. But their goal is to, as it states, save iconic architecture. Where, you know, in in L.A. proper, 
these things happen all the time and, and unfortunately you don't hear about them until they're gone and I had a question for Ron and Jamie and they have they have a very specific answer and I want to ask you the same thing and I'm not just being argumentative for the sake of being argumentative. Oh, please do. I love those questions. But it's like, who cares? Who cares? And who made, who made, who made us the arbiters of what deserves to be saved? Okay. Those are fair questions. So we, our goal is not to preserve everything. We're trying to, first of all, find all the significant houses by the most significant architects. It would be like identifying the most famous artists of the 20th century and trying to find all their work. And that's the documentation phase. We have documented about 6,000 houses in California alone. Every Neutra, every Schindler, every Wright, every Soriano, every Elwood, every uh, Quincy Jones, Claude Oakland, Eichler, everybody. Uh, house, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of houses. So once they can be identified and we get the word out, then it really helps the communities figure out that question, which is, do we want to save this structure? How important is it really? Because you can't save every house, nor should you. I get tired of certain organizations that are trying to just save every single thing that comes along, because quite frankly, some of them really aren't worth saving. Some of them are, are, are not that important and too far gone. So you can only spend your energies so far. And, and our presence helps these communities figure out where to focus their time and resources and preservation money. See, and that makes sense. And that's, that's the fun in, in it and that's the joy in it. Um, so how, how do you do it? So I know you've got the website where you're, and, you, and the catalog, you're tracking everything, the podcast, obviously. Do you enjoy podcasting? Do you enjoy the show? I really have it the best time ever. Uh, my mom was the first woman DJ in North Carolina in the 40s on WPTF AM, half a million watt radio that covered most of the state. So I grew up with my mom talking about radio all the time. Mm -hmm. I did commercials with her when I was three or four years old for Easter Seals, trying so to raise great. money for Easter Seals. So that's another genetic thing that has sort of popped back into my life, and it's a blast. And it gives you a forum to sing. A little bit. Um, we have a theme song, which um, I, I wrote, um, because we, we didn't want to get into royalty problems with music. Yeah. So I found a, a tune that was out of copyright and wrote new words. And I didn't have enough money to pay somebody to sing it, so I recorded it in the studio. And it turns out that uh, the song is within my very narrow range of singing ability. So it worked out. You can hear a few bars at the top of the show. Yeah, and, and I love it too because I got to hear, I got to hear myself uh, when, right. I, when I was on the show uh, with you guys, and I really did ex enjoy the experience. And I think that, you know, what's so fun about this, podcasting in general, is like, like you, you know, I'm not an architect, I'm not a designer, I'm just a fan. Yeah. I, I love talking about it, I love walking the projects, I love walking the properties, I love being involved, I love talking to designers and architects. And because of that, to be able to do a show like this where where we come down to Palm Springs for, for Modernism Week. It's just fun. So, and you were showing me your schedule. You are jam-packed when you're, when you're down here. Yeah. 
what is what do you what does modernism week mean to you what do you try to accomplish when you're down here so we're trying to get a lot of things done in a short amount of time modernism week is like the super bowl of mid-century architecture everybody who is really anybody in the field is here at some port uh, part of the week uh, giving lectures giving tours sponsoring parties doing things like that so it's a great access point for this whole interest about mid-century modern architecture uh, when we're here, we bring a group from North Carolina. We bring 30 people who come out and go on tours with us. Uh, this year, we're doing our first fundraiser at the Kirk Douglas House, which is sold out uh, to raise money for our organization, which is a, a nonprofit uh, group. And then we're also looking to make connections to get people to sponsor the podcast and help us grow and do more of these. How many of these do you... So, okay, so backing up so you've got modernist you got the super bowl yeah what are what are some of your playoff games what are some of the other ah the playoff games um every year i go to the new york architecture and design film festival which is in the chelsea section of manhattan and interview the producers and sometimes the stars of the new architecture documentaries that are coming out and that's great because it also links back to our north carolina operations where we show the films within the state and get access to some movies that are really visually terrific and hard to find. These are things you can't get streaming on Netflix or Hulu. We're often getting them from the producer's living room floor. They're mailing us the Blu-ray. It's, it's interesting, too. You know, something you said kind of reminded me. You started the podcast mm -hmm. because you did a search and there really wasn't anything out there. I did the same thing. Uh, on my end with design, you know, I don't, I don't focus on any one particular style. I just, I, I love talking about multiples and, and, you know, architecture and design and, and how we live. I think I'm, that for me, that's the thing is the how we live. So it encompasses everything. But like you, I couldn't find anything. And I, I found that curious. Considering that design architecture is, is so important to the, to the way we live, to the how we live. Why do you think there isn't more that tracks, that, that, that tracks the progress or looks back? Why isn't there more coverage? Well, there certainly is now. I mean, since, you think I, so? yeah, since I started this four years ago, I've, I haven't listened to them all, but there are a bunch of new podcasts that are focusing on architecture and design and different elements of the creative process. I mean, it's really exploded. Yeah, no, 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 I, I get that, but I mean, like when you think about coverage, yes, there's a lot more podcasts now because it's easier. You know, there are some trailblazers who, who put out some, some initial shows and then mm -hmm. people listen and go, oh gosh, you know, I could do that. But, but then, you know, I remember um, there used to be a channel called Fine Living. Do you remember Fine Living? No. It was, a, it, it was, it was really cool. It was, one of those, it was one of those like ultra luxe, it was like HGTV only ultra luxe. Okay. And there was, there was more architectural coverage there but like HGTV doesn't do a ton of architectural coverage well architectural coverage is to be fair to the people who are in this business is a tough market I mean the general public doesn't necessarily get into architecture that much um, the profession tends sometimes to uh, make it look a bit inaccessible it's too expensive for the average person um, modernist designers are often doing this. I mean, they, they do a show house 
and the house is filled with things that are so extraordinarily expensive, the average person can't even think about that. Um, and, and so we're trying to target kind of an audience of people who, you know, they bought their first Barcelona chair or their Eames chair in their little apartment in Illinois somewhere. And, and we want to help them dream about, you know, how they could one day either buy a house and fix it up or know that a house existed one mile over from where they live right now that they could be going and fixing up. So is that the goal you view it as, a, as an aspirational vehicle? Yeah, yeah. You're listening to my conversation with U.S. Modernist Executive Director George Smart. We're talking about modern design, and George knows it well. You know who else does? Article. If you're not familiar, Article is an online-only furniture company inspired by mid-century style and Scandinavian simplicity, and they're changing the game. As a design trade professional, you are absolutely going to love the style and quality of Article Furniture. Here's what else you're going to love. Article has created a trade program specifically for you, busy designers. Check this out. Joining the trade program is absolutely free, and there is no minimum for you to start receiving trade discounts. None. Zero. Exclusive designer pricing that cannot be found for less elsewhere. They also offer a standard one-year warranty on all article furniture and the shipping. You're going to love the shipping. Uh, It's flat rate in most cases, if not free, and it's fast. Stock items ship in two weeks or less. They handle special invoicing, tax-exempt purchasing, and the customer service is staffed by design professionals. These are real people who know what you're trying to accomplish and have the authority to help you get what you need. For all the details and to sign up for Article's trade program, again, which is free, please go to cxd.article.com. CXD, as in Convo by Design, cxd.article.com. Thank you, Article. All right, back to my conversation with George Smart, Executive Director of U.S. Modernist, and we're talking about modern design, architecture, and how podcasting has changed his life and mine. What else, what else do you like besides modern what else what other styles do you like um i have to say my 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 guilty pleasure are really well done victorians really yeah but they have to be really well done and it's difficult because you're you're going back beyond several lifetimes i mean we've still got modernists from around who are in their 80s and 90s who did this originally 50 years ago. But the Victorians are super dead. They're all gone. (laughs) So it's harder to find Victorians that are like really meticulously restored historically. And when you hit on one of those, it really is like being transported back in time. And I want to go to the retro costume store and get myself a 1910 outfit and go, you know, change the glasses, change the hair, slick it back like they would have, you know, have the, the spats on and go for tea. That's so great. What did you do before this? Uh, I've been a management consultant for 30 years and still do that as an executive coach to business owners. And this is just, this is a passion project for you. Well, my wife refers to this entire thing as a 12 year seizure, which has not yet stopped. That is awesome. So she's supportive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> do, do you, when, when you come out to Palm Springs, when you travel around, 
when you go to New York for the film festival. Are you a tourist or are you there to work? I'm mostly there to work. But what I try to do is think of innovative ways to get the guests involved. Because as you know from doing this a while, some guests have never done a podcast. And some guests have done a zillion podcasts. So the ones that are more seasoned into it, I'm trying to get a different experience. So uh, recently, I did my first uh, Aaron Sorkin walk and talk, where um, I met the architect uh, that I was interviewing on the tramway on the east side of Manhattan. And we were recording as the tram was moving over the river and landed on Roosevelt Island. And then we were recording as we walked down Roosevelt Island to the FDR memorial designed by Louis Kahn, which he had personally done the work for when it, until it premiered in 2012. And so he told me every little nuance of how the construction was done and how they got these giant blocks in there and then how people were like when Hillary Clinton did her campaign launch from that spot in 2012, how this uh, other couple uh, cleverly booked their wedding for the next day so they could reuse the tents that were there for the Clinton celebration. I mean, Genius. cool stuff like that. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So we're going to do some more walk and talks in the future. That sounds like a really fun project. And you can, well, how do you do it? I mean, walking and talking is easy, but not when you're recording and holding a microphone. Um, I have a little Roland R05 that I bought off of Amazon, a little tiny digital unit. Yeah. And I have a little tiny three-inch tripod that screws into it. And so what I do is I use the tripod as a handle yeah. and I just walk like this between me and the other person and these high gain microphones pick it right up and then our engineer in the studio filters out a lot of the background noise and voila. What would you like U.S. Modernist to be? What is, what is, the, is there an end goal? Is there an end game when you, when you think about this? So we're, we're playing several games at once. So we have the main archives, which is documenting all the houses by the major architects. Secondly, we started a magazine archive about five years ago, which is our goal is to have online every major architecture magazine of the 20th century. So far, we've got 2.6 million pages scanned and online. Every architecture record, uh, progressive architecture, um, architecture forum, um, uh, house and Home, AIA New York, AIA North Carolina, all these publications that chronicle the houses that we're documenting. And the reason why that is important is that was the historical record with the photographs of the original houses. So if you're wanting to restore a house, what better than to have photographs from that time or to find out why the house was significant in that moment? And this has been one of our biggest successes because people, you know, they're not going to go to the library and dig up something from 1940, but they'll come to our site and find it. It's downloadable, it's printable, it's searchable, it's free and easy. That's amazing. And it sounds really daunting. Well, it's one of those things. Um, Jeremy Clarkson, who was the host of Top Gear in Britain, the auto show, his favorite catchphrase is, how hard can it be? <laughs> All right? Yeah. No, I so, guess that's true. So in 2013, a realtor called me in Charlotte 
and was selling a house that had a basement full of old architecture magazines. And they said, some of them are rotten. Do you want them? I said, sure. Thinking I would go down in a couple of weeks and pick them up. He goes, we're going to throw them away in two days if you don't get them. So I hired a guy off of Craigslist with one of those pickup trucks for hire and sent him to Charlotte. He got all the magazines, brought it back, and then we got on eBay and bought five old Epson scanners and got our volunteers to come to my garage and we just started sheet feeding these things into the machines and that was our first half a million pages. Uh, Wait a minute. Half a million pages? Yeah. How long does that take and how many scanners did you go through? Well, we had five scanners plus um, a big scanner that I already had in my office. And I would say it probably took um, maybe four days, five days, chugging full strength. But the difficulty with it is not the scanning part. Right. Is that you have to go through the magazine and pull out the subscription cards and the perfume samples. And back in the 90s, those AOL CDs they used to mail out in all the magazines, you got to pull all that crap out before it'll sheet feed properly. That's the most labor-intensive part. The scanning is easy. So when it sheet feeds, but didn't, don't you have to take the binding off? Yes. We, we take the uh, magazines to FedEx, and they chop the spines off. Oh, wow. Okay. Otherwise, it would take several lifetimes to do it page by page. Because that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And, so, and, and with the scanners, too, I'm surprised that you can do a half million page without the, the, the bulb going out or without something overheating. Or It wasn't so much the bulbs and things it, the rollers would sometimes right jam up but we got really good at ordering replacement rollers off of ebay and doing our own little tech and then eventually we found a very very wonderful and sympathetic vendor who now does all our scanning for us so he's done maybe a million and a half almost two million pages since that initial run that is so cool what's the goal with the, i mean I'm, let me back up. Yeah. I think that is so cool because I'm, I'm a huge fan of libraries. I think libraries are really important. And libraries don't have to be the, the big glass building right. on the block. It can be a library can now be anywhere. It can be a cloud. It can be a, a drive. It can be anything. But to have access to, to the material and the access that you're talking about, the material that you're talking about, is really important to people who care about architecture and who love this style of architecture. Yeah. And the fact that you're preserving it and that it's going to be around for people to go back and see, I think is really important. And so, but there's always more, right? There's always things that you... Not necessarily. There is, there is an end point to this because there were only so many major magazines about architecture, uh, really starting in the 20s, most of them. And a lot of them had died by the 70s as modernism fell out of favor and that ghastly thing called postmodernism rose up and took over you know, all the design minds. Um, so there's a limit to what we need to find and get all in one place. So what I like about this is it's a finishable project. Well, let me ask you about that because with the resurgence of mid-century, with the resurgence of the original ideals behind modernism, there, there are new structures being built in, 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 that, in that image 
does that qualify or or is that because it wasn't original to that time do you do you put it in a time period and close the box uh no we we treat modernism as a style not a period of time so in north carolina for instance we've documented every house that's been modern from 1920 through today so a new house that goes up down the road we know about it it's on the website with a bio of the young architect that's putting it together and the history of all that. And then we run tours to all these new construction houses several times a year, it's called Matapalooza. And we take people on buses and we drive them from house to house to house and they have snacks on the bus and Wi-Fi on the bus and a big barbecue lunch in the middle of the day and they get to see eight or nine houses in remote places around the area they wouldn't normally get to see. That is so cool. Do you have a, do you have a spinoff in mind? Would you ever, is there, is there a spinoff to U.S. Modernist Radio or, or is there an offshoot? I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, because you've, you've, I'm amazed at the, the level and depth of coverage that you have. And you've, if I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, but you don't have a super large group. It has grown. We're 12 people now. Okay, that's not super large. Um, it's big. It's big. Yeah. We have, um, we have no one's full-time except for me, and I get paid really badly by myself in this nonprofit. That, very, very poorly. That's why you're doing uh, well, it. When they say nonprofit, you yeah. should probably believe them. <laughs> that's right. We have a development director who's part-time. We have an accountant and web person who's part-time. We have a director of research who's part-time. And we have a North Carolina research person who's also very part-time. And so we cobble this all together. And then we have a couple of amazing volunteers who are just so into this. They're sending me things every week. We have one guy in California who I'll name Michael Locke, who is like, I, I call him Batman. Because I can send the beacon up at night to like go find Quincy Jones houses. And the next day I'll get 50 photographs of houses that he's patrolled through a neighborhood and gotten the information and when they were built and what happened to them, boom. He's just incredible. We're giving him a special award uh, in about a week. What's the award? Uh, we have an award each year yeah. for like outstanding volunteering to the organization. Yeah, that is so cool. He, he really is literally Neighborhood Watch. Yeah. That's Except it's not for crime, it's for architecture. Yeah, and that's, the, well, it's funny, it's funny because last night when I was talking to Ron Woodson and he was, he was calling this crimes against architecture, you know, what, what happens to these, to these properties. And it is really important because, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, architecture is an art form. It is absolutely an art form. And like any piece of art, right? We were talking about this before, like any piece of art, if, if, you, if you, you would never walk into an art gallery and just say, okay, well, you know what? I don't like that one, so I'm gonna replace it and then I'm gonna destroy it. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, you'd never do that. Yeah, there should be like, you know, a Banksy shredder for art that you could just drop everything into that you don't like. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever wonder or consider the mobility of some of these projects like in, instead of destroying the pro, the property it, the project if somebody if somebody wanted has the property and wants to do something different the actual mobility the moving of the oh, of the home we look at this all the time there's a place in Pennsylvania that everyone should go called Polymath Park and it's in the middle of nowheresville kind of near falling water in the middle of the state at Polymath Park, this young couple has been collecting 
uh, signature modernist houses from across the country, disassembling them, bringing them to this park of houses, putting them back together, and not only can you tour them, but you can stay overnight in them. So you can stay overnight in a Frank Lloyd Wright house or one, by, one done by one of his students. And they have a little restaurant there. And it's this oasis village they're building of great modernist houses. And we help them all the time try to locate houses that are in trouble that are suitable to be moved. That is so cool. Have you, have you been? I have not been personally, but they've been guests on our podcast, and we send a group up there every fall. That sounds like so much fun, except for the fact that once you've toured the, the houses that are there, you're in the middle of nowhere and you're not doing anything else. Well, there, there's Falling Water nearby, okay, and right. there's Kentuck Knob, another right house right, 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 right. nearby, yep. and there's Ohio Pile, which is this gorgeous natural park nearby. So you can go and make a nice weekend of it, stay overnight. In the, uh, in the amazing Holiday Inn Express in the nearby town or uh, the Days Inn out by the interstate. And because uh, that's, that's the three-star Michelin version. That's as good as it gets out there. <laughs> or you can stay overnight at, at their houses, which is even better. That, you know what? That sounds like so much fun. So another, another idea is, about this is the, really the concept. I mean, p- people travel mm-hmm. for art, for fashion, Architectural travel seems like it should be a thing. Yeah. That's our nonprofit business model. It's how we keep the lights on, pay the salaries, is through our tour program. So we take people to Palm Springs for Modernism Week every year. We take people to Falling Water and Polymath every year in the fall. Uh, We'll take people to Denmark, Norway, and Sweden in May. We'll be taking people to London and Brussels and Amsterdam next May. Um, in November of 2020, we'll be taking people to Dubai and Abu Dhabi for the World's Fair, which most Americans think ended in 1964, but has still been going on around the world and is that same spectacular format of where you have pavilions by different countries showing the best of their society and technology and culture, and we'll be attending that. That is really cool. Tell me something. What is your pers- perspective on what you do here, modernist, modern properties, internationally, and the international viewpoints by country? Are there some countries that, that, that I don't want to call it architecture worship, but are there some countries that, that put a, a, a value on them like you do? Well, Europe is worlds better for preserving important structures, only because they've been around a lot longer, I mean, they've been thinking about this since the 11th century. We've been only thinking about it since maybe 1776. So we're not quite there yet. Um, Europe is also a lot more comfortable having something like a super modern Zaha Hadid structure next to a Gothic church. They don't get bent out of shape too much about that like we do here. Uh, So that's one difference. Um, On our tours, what makes us unique is that when we go to a town or city, we're just seeing modernist architecture. If people want to see something else that's famous, they can do it on their own time. So if we go to Paris, for instance, we're going to skip the Eiffel Tower in our tours. People can see that in the afternoons when they're doing their thing. We're going to get them into the best modernist houses, office buildings, libraries, structures that are not normally often open to the public so they can really see how extraordinary these buildings are. That's remarkable. 
And, and I love that because, you know, I, I hear this quite often when talking to designers or architects, that their number one source of inspiration is travel. Yeah. And so how cool to be able to travel and actually see, because, you know, the, com the, the comparisons between what the architects, what, what the modernist architects did here versus what they did elsewhere, because they're inspired by different cultures, right. different foods, different language, different ways of doing things. So it's, it's a similar idea perhaps, but inspired in a different way. So to see what transpired and what came out of that and be able to put it in, in contrast and compare just seems like a, a really fun exercise. It is, and, and also people have other sort of basic needs, like they're shopping for doorknobs, and so they want to see all the coolest doorknobs from all around the world and taking little photos and putting them on Instagram and comparing them to what their house has or they're, they're shopping for furniture or they're looking for an idea for um, renovating their home or apartment. Uh, they're, they're looking for some kind of guidance that way. They don't know necessarily the language of design, but they know enough to take a photo and show it to someone who understands the language of design. It's kind of like a, a funny form of Google Translate for architecture, is that we take the picture of the doorknob and then we show it to a real professional who tells us if that's gonna work or not in our particular project. I love that. And, and in addition to that, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. Well, thank you. I love the podcast. I think you're a great podcaster, and um, this was great, and I thank you for making the time for us. Oh, of course. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jared. Convo by Design is proud to be working with Von Damme Furniture. Their design culture is the key to their success. It's what pushes them to consistently create new collections that give spaces a new dimension. They create dialogue between environment and form. Vondam pieces can transform the simplest space into one filled with glamour that is both unique and extraordinary. And isn't that what design is all about? Creating atmospheres where you can take hold of life and enjoy it to the fullest. Vondam products are simple and elegant, contemporary and exceptionally comfortable. Their crafted modern durable molded resin, glass, and metal designs are unique. They beg to be enjoyed. Have you seen them featured in our videos? Check out our YouTube channel and see this for yourself. You can also find them in their showrooms at the D&D Building in New York, Wynwood in Miami, and the Pacific Design Center here in Los Angeles, or online at vondam.com.